Hello and welcome to School of Batman. We ask scientists and researchers to use their expertise to help Batman in his quest against crime. I'm your host, Chris Blumson, amateur scientist and professional Batman enthusiast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the case of the kryptonite cancer. dying Superman turns to the only man he knows who can help him. Weakened from an encounter with General Zod, an alien form of cancer is threatening to rip the Man of Steel apart on an atomic level. Conventional medicine is woefully ill-equipped to deal with the issue at hand, but with the help of his friend Atom and some brand new tech, Batman is hopeful the story is not over. To help Batman this week, we're joined by Dr. Baptiste Goh. Baptiste has a PhD in physics from the University of Rouen and holds a joint appointment between Imperial College London and the Max Planck Institute for Iron Research in Dusseldorf. So hello Baptiste, how are you and thank you for joining us. I'm well, thank you. Uh, so yeah, so you're here to help Batman this week with some of your research. Um, but before we get specifically into how we can help Batman, uh, I feel like we just want to dig into a little bit about what you do, how you got to where you are. Um, and also, I'm very interested in the idea of you holding a joint appointment between two different countries. Um, that sounds interesting. I don't really know what that means. And I, I've also never seen anyone do like iron research yeah i think if you'd have asked me before today is there much research still to do on iron i would probably say we we we've got it so i'd like to know what that means as well um so let's start from the top so um why don't you give us just a, a brief overview if you were at a dinner party as to what your work currently is okay so um my my, my work really is um follows the steps of what I did when I was a PhD student about 15 years ago, which is to work with a microscopy and microanalysis technique. So by microanalysis, I, I mean that not only can we look at things, but we can also uh, analyze what it is made of um, compositionally, what elements actually constitute the piece of material that I, I am interested in. And so the strength of the technique that uh, I am an expert at, which is called atom probe tomography, is that we can know how the elements uh, that constitute a piece of material are arranged within that material, uh, almost with atomic resolution. So we can look at how the atoms of specific species actually go about uh, interacting with each other. And... The, the way they are located inside of the, of the structure will impact their properties. So this is why I don't get invited to many dinner parties, because as you can see, <laughs> it's not the most exciting thing. But uh, so actually we look at atoms, which is very exciting. And so the, this technique, we, we apply it here in, in Dusseldorf to a range of materials. So the, the institute initially was highly focused on, on steel research, mostly because uh, it is located in, in, in the Ruhrgebiet, as they say in Germany. So it's, um, it's really where the 
coal and, and steel uh, have been really high up on the uh, on the scale of uh, on the industrial scale that's uh, i think about a quarter of all the steel in europe is produced about a few kilometers away from where i sit right now the industry here is really intensively being exploited steel today to to make uh, the types of materials and so the thing with a piece of steel as you say it sounds highly boring um, because we've been making steel for thousands of years but actually, the, the way we used to make a piece of steel in most materials, really, is um, it's kind of a, a cook-and-look type approach, right? So you put a bit of this and a bit of that, and you, you melt everything, and then you put it in a... You, you quench it to make it solid, and then you look what it how it behaves when you try to deform it. So you take your big hammer and you try to <laughs> beat the hell out of that piece of material, and you see how it behaves. We're trying to move away from this, and um, the reason is partly because now we understand a bit better how things um, take place when we try to deform a material, but also when we are producing it, how um, the structure and the composition is going to evolve over time during the, the cooking process, if you wish, and how all of this is going to impact properties, because, you know, there's probably 25 types of steel in, in a car today, and there was probably maybe five 30 years ago, because we want these piece, these materials specifically to be very good at one thing. So there's 25 different types of steel available today where there was only five 30 years ago? Just for one car, I mean, there's many, many more types of steel in the world, but just to make one car, like the industry, the car industry now, will use many more types of different steel for different parts of the car, because they want that steel not to be good at everything, but to be good at one thing. It's kind of the money ball approach if you've watched the movie. Brad Pitt actually takes his team of lousy people and they're just good at one thing, but by making them do that one thing over and over and over again, during and strategizing around this, he manages to get, you know, a world champion, as they say in the US. <laughs> so th this may be a, um, a silly question, and it might just be that it's just a continuum from one end to another, but how many different types of steel would a car manufacturer have to choose from to make a car? Hundreds. So y you need to realize one thing, it's that um, there are many more configurations and uh, ways to mix different elements from the periodic table to make an alloy than there are stars in the universe. Okay, so I think we need to take a little bit of a step back um, to understand some of these fundamentals. So let's start with how you make steel. Let's have a generic steel. What, what, how, how does one go about making steel? What are the, what are the constituent parts? Um, so the typical one would contain iron and carbon as a base. Uh, so mostly iron and a few percent uh, of, of carbon, uh, but depending on how much carbon you put in, you might actually um, end up with completely different phases in, in place, so different crystal structure that are going to accommodate and, and the carbon will tend to get together and, and form um, precipitates. I, I don't know if you've, uh, you've, you've done chemistry as a, as a kid at school, but often we play with uh, precipitates in, in the liquid phase where we mix this and that and it forms a piece of solid in solution. But actually in the, in the solid state, things happen exactly in the same way. So atoms of different, of different or the same species may want to get together and they form a, a different phase that will potentially be, for example, stronger, harder to deform. And any alloy is actually a composite made of something soft and something hard. Um, so that's how you get about to making steel. You put 
iron and then carbon and then you add all the things like you can add chromium for example in stainless steel to prevent the the, the, the corrosion of the of the surface um, you can add then um, nickel for example which is often also uh, added because the nickel stabilizes a phase of iron which is organized slightly differently that is softer so you can actually by playing um, on, on subtle equilibrium equilibria between the different phases uh, play on the, the properties massively. So is it is it right to think of it almost in the same way as like biologically speaking with like you have a, a DNA that is then duplicated to make the whole material so you say you can add some carbon you can add some chromium well that what does that form is those different atoms mashed together what's the name of that? That's the concept of hallowing. I mean, there's no genes. I mean, there are there are people who will talk about Matthias' genome. I'm, I'm not a big believer of this. Um, we, we we play around with thermodynamics and equilibrium between different phases and and different structures of the. I mean, the way the atoms are arranged with respect to one another uh, will change from one one phase to another. But basically, you, you can imagine like. Um, you know these uh, circus artists that play with these um, um, rotating plates. So you can imagine that an alloy, a, a material system, a metallic system, you start blending in many different uh, elements, and all of, each one of these elements is like a rotating plate. And ultimately, you may have to balance five, six, ten, twenty of those, and you end up always in these quite tricky situations where you never know exactly what's in equilibrium with what but ultimately the properties are, are good enough for what you need how many different um options are available to you on an atomic level you say you have your basics um your carbon and your iron and you can start adding other things in how many different elements of the periodic table are available for you to for, in your palette of trying to create new types of steel probably a, a two dozen okay so not not a huge amount in the whole table no because some of them are become very impractical from a cost perspective um, and, and they may be extremely efficient at doing one thing but as a model system it can be very interesting um, as a as a system that might actually find a place in in application somewhere then this becomes kind of a pointless exercise uh, so we, we we don't face much constraints with respect to what we do if we want to study model systems we can uh, max planck institutes are, are dedicated to fundamental research and not to applied research but at some stage if we want our research to have an, an impact we need to also think about what can then the industry take away from what we do to integrate this into new products and you know putting ruthenium or uh uh, hafnium in an alloy may not actually make it feasible because the cost of a, a pound of these metals may will be much higher than gold. Right. So go, going back to that wonderful little soundbite you did earlier about the the combination of um, being more than the stars uh, in the galaxy, that's some kind of factorial trick i suppose with all these different elements exactly i mean it's statistically if you start mixing hundreds of different uh, uh elements with completely like uh, with varying the composition you will end up with a number of combinations that is larger than the stars but ultimately what we play with when we design steel or nickel based superalloys or titanium alloys all of these things that are used in in plane engines for example we play with maybe you know a couple of dozen and so where where do you start here? Like I 
you obviously have a lot of knowledge of the individual types of atoms but is there any knowledge that you can have before you start trying to do these experiments into creating new materials or new ways of making steel that will kind of guide you down what properties you think might occur yes so what we look at at the atomic scale is a very very tiny volumes of material um, but actually we just bring you know the last the, the cherry on the cake but we need all of the layers of the cake before we can actually put the cherry so the strength of the institute where i am now is that we we have access to equipment to look at material at the scale of um, centimeters and then to millimeters and then to microns and then to nanometers and down to atoms and so we we will always try to perform our experiments in that way where we start with what's big and how is how the, the things on a scale of millimeters arranged and then go down to microns and then go down to atoms and if we don't do this we only have a very partial picture of actually the complexity of the material so th this joint appointment that you have what does that mean is that is that is it that the max Planck institute is directly connected to the imperial college or is there just a joint project how do you work across the both so this is quite new it's only been three four months uh, so it's kind of a trial uh, and so the the idea is that um, my contract here in, in germany has an end date in about uh, four years and uh, Imperial is quite interested in the skills that I have and I am interested in moving there at some stage. So this joint appointment for now um, gives me access to, to the facilities at Imperial and it helps me uh, build a portfolio of research projects, partly in collaborations with academics from Imperial and also by myself if I decide to. Um, so the idea is that in four years time I will be moving to London. Fantastic. So you, you studied physics. What kind of physics did you study uh, as you were coming into this path? So the, the, the technique that I, I, I use um, and that my group uses um, is based on the what we call high field physics. So we actually, when we take a piece of material and we, we start to suck the electrons away from the surface atoms, um, we, we have on average a little bit of a positive charge on the surface and um, these charges, if they start to be quite a, like a significant quantity of them, uh, it generates what we call a, an electric field, a high electric field. And at some stage, the electric field can be high enough that we effectively push an atom from the surface. And that's what I studied during my PhD is how we can then trigger this process of removal of atoms under the effect of uh, an intense field, uh, which is called a process called field evaporation, by adding on top of a, a, a standing field some very short uh, and intense laser pulses. So I studied the, the physics of how this actually could take place, and uh, it was fun. <laughs> Thanks very much for that. Uh, I think we have a much better grounding now uh, in some of the basics, uh, the uh, elements, if you will, of, of what you do. So let's take this back now as to how um, you may be able to help Batman and his DC friend, the Atom. Uh, for listeners who, who aren't aware who the Atom is, um, this is a character who can shrink himself down to the size of an atom and maybe be uh, Batman's atomic-sized doctor to try and help cut out this 
strange Kryptonian cancer that is uh, affecting the Man of Steel here. So you said you have these very special machines uh, that are able to see down to uh, atomic level. Um, how I mean, how rare is that? What what kind of special and rarity are we talking? There's one company that makes them at the moment. There's a second one starting, but basically they've sold about 110 machines, out of which probably 90 are still in operation. So there are still a few labs who make their own. So you're probably looking at something like 100 instruments worldwide. And so three are in the basement here. We have like seven in the state of Northern Spain. So we are in, a, in an intense region with a lot of collaborations between us and other centers in Aachen, Jülich and Bochum. So when you're able to get down to that level, what does that like practically mean? Like, is, is it just a case of observation to see if your construction techniques that you tried beforehand worked or can you actually start to influence things on that level as well so what we try to do mostly is understand if if a material is made in that way uh, what does it lead to in terms of uh, performance or mechanical behavior for example in particular then we come in and say okay this is how the atoms are arranged on that scale and then this is how the the, the, the material has grains that are arranged at that scale and this is and relates the structure to the properties and then based on what we observe we actually can try to understand why the material behaves in a given way then we can feed that back to the people who make materials and then say maybe you should cook it in that slightly different way or maybe you should actually leave it in the oven for a bit longer uh, i mean it's not an oven but it's kind of the same concept Imagine that you're, you're making pizza and sometimes your pizza is undercooked and it's not really good and sometimes it's overcooked and it's not really good. But there's this optimal right time where everything is perfectly cooked. And this is sort of what we're trying to do. We come in as part of a, a team of people between the people who test the, the material and the people who make them. And we really try to understand the, the mechanisms, the fundamental mechanism that can link one with the other. So when you're starting to make um, some of these recommendations, where where is that coming from? Like, let's say I, I came to you and I was like, I need this particular type of steel to be uh, very heat resistant, right? And, and it comes to you and it's, it's 100 degrees less heat resistant than I want it to be. How do you make a recommendation? Like that's the thing I think I'm struggling to understand is is it is it an element of like an educated guess is it is there modeling is there predictions what's the step there so usually we need modeling and the modeling to make sure that the model is right needs input in the first place so if you if you look at anything related to atomistic modeling in particular you can start with any possible configurations of these gazillions of points in a box but the thing is, the, the, the initial conditions that will actually lower the, the number of possibilities of how these atoms are arranged, the people doing modeling will need input. And that we can provide, because now I can tell them, look, the atoms are arranged more or less like this. And there's only a, a, a finite number of possibilities for the atoms to be arranged like this. And now they can use this as an input to try and derive how the, the material behavior will be related to how the atoms are arranged. 
So you, you really need this really subtle interplay between people doing modeling and people doing experiments and microscopy. And this is necessary to understand the, the material's behavior, if that makes more sense now. So do, do you think you, you'll ever, I mean, again, this may be a very silly question, but do you think you'll ever get to a point where you'll actually be uh, like creating things whilst you're looking at something atomically? Like, will, will you be making materials on the fly without having that pre-step process? Uh, I, I doubt it. <laughs> Mostly because, you know, ultimately we we all build on, on hundreds of years of, of know-how and expertise and at least 200 years of people making new materials and especially in the metallurgy, in metallurgy in particular, I think, um, you know, people have been making alloys for hundreds of years, right? So the, the possibility that suddenly by looking at how a few atoms are arranged locally, you're going to be able to design on the fly a brand new material. I think it doesn't work this way. We, we, it's a feedback loop that actually takes a lot of effort and, and understanding before you can actually tweak something. And this is sometimes what the industry doesn't really want to do. They want a cook and look approach still today where they just try something and if it works, they're happy. Uh, which is sort of the exact opposite to what we are trying to do sometimes. That's really interesting that that synergy between this kind of more historical approaches and the absolute bleeding edge that symbiotic relationship is almost necessary like you were saying that's really interesting at least that's my perspective <laughs> um, but yeah I mean I think we absolutely need this otherwise you're, you're basically limping on one leg uh, you, you need you need the two aspects to move forward together and if you only move in one way I think at some stage you're going to get lost and you know there, there are mechanisms that uh, take place especially in steel um, that everybody thinks are related to, for example, hydrogen uh, accumulating in some specific places within the microstructure and then causing a fracture. But, you know, it's been known for 120 years, but we still don't have proofs of this. And it could be something completely different happening because the industry, you know, is trying to fight this, but without actually trying to push for understanding the details. And then we come in, but we will be looking at very specific problems that may not be actually as general as we think. So I think we need to really work on both aspects at all times. So that's it for today. Thanks to Batiste and team's bleeding edge atomic surgery techniques in combination with the atom. Superman's kryptonite cancer has been removed and the Man of Steel lives to fight another day. So thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was a, a pleasure. And you can find out more about Batiste and his team's work on Twitter at probably the most appropriate social handle we've had on the show to date, bat double underscore go. The link for that will also be in the description. If you'd like to be a future guest on the podcast, please email us at info at figshare.com and you can find us on Twitter at School of Batman. Thank you.